Okay. Well, I'm sure animal rights um, are much lower down on most Christians' uh, list of important um, And one of those reasons is that we flick through the Bible, we're not overwhelmed with anything like the sort of number of texts that um, Andrew was able to show us are there about justice and uh, God-given values that affect human behaviour. Um, so Peter will just uncover some of those things that are in the Bible about animal rights and perhaps some of the contemporary issues for us. Thank sure. You. Thank you. Well, this is not, a, again, a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking, so I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed researching it in the last couple of weeks, knowing that this talk was coming up. And um, this is really my attempt to get my ducks in a row uh, on the issue, just to start with a very bad pun, given the picture that I have there. Um, I'm basically going to argue that Thomas Aquinas uh, probably had it right when he said this, humans owe it to God and his goodness to be compassionate towards animals. That'll be my main take-home point. He says, we're called to love and preserve creatures to his honour, and we honour God by exerting our rational dominion over animals and by preserving creatures whose very being, as well as usefulness to us, proclaim God's wisdom. Here's an outline of an argument for animal rights. Um, and I think it's a terrible argument. Um, but it's the sort of thing that you do sometimes hear uh, someone argue along these lines... Premise one, humans are just another animal. Uh, a premise whose truth w- would involve holding that Christianity is false. Humans are just another animal. Second premise, humans have uh, objective moral rights. Conclusion, therefore, animals have objective moral rights. Now, apart from the fact that this conclusion doesn't actually follow from the two premises uh, and apart from the fact that if you're uh, someone who thinks Christianity is true you're going to think that premise one is false uh, if premise one is true then premise two I would argue very plausibly would be false because in the absence of God given the moral argument which is a, a whole other topic and we've covered it in uh, other podcasts that you can download from our website uh, it would follow that there aren't any objective moral rights in the uh, absence of a theistic universe. So this is a terrible argument for animal rights, particularly since you could then kind of reverse it to end up with this. (coughs) An argument against human rights. Uh, Humans are just another animal. Premise two, animals don't have objective moral rights. For example, when the lion kills the zebra, it kills the zebra doesn't murder the zebra. So, therefore, humans don't have any rights in an objective sense either, if we're just another animal. So the crucial question seems to me to be this. Can we make coherent sense of the concept of animal rights without collapsing uh, a crucial moral distinction between animals and humans? And I think the answer to that question is, not really, no. But even more sort of digging 
below the surface here. What, what is a right? I find it a very um, perplexing kind of notion, really, the notion of a right. Um, certainly we can talk in terms of a, a sort of a legal code of a particular society or whatever, uh, a sort of intersubjective legal fiction created by humans. Uh, if you do X to Y, then the state will do something unpleasant to you. But that's uh, a descriptive statement of fact rather than a prescriptive moral truth. We're just talking about what will happen given certain circumstances because we've made certain decisions, but there's no sort of objective grounding saying that that's the right decision or the right thing to do. And certainly animals could, in in this sort of legal fiction sense of rights, be said to have rights in this non-moral sense. But what about a moral right? Well, the closest I can kind of get to the notion here is to say something like this. I am objectively right, I correct, to hold that moral agents ought to treat me and other people with a certain dignity because of my inherent value and to feel, I'm right to feel moral outrage when moral agents fail to do that. And as you can see here from the brackets, I would, again, as with the last talk, ground that in the concept of of goodness and value being grounded in the very nature and, and character of God and of people as creatures made in the image of God. So it seems to me that when you start trying to to work out what you mean by rights and so on, you pretty soon come to the idea that rights really are dependent upon the notion of duties. Duty or obligation seems to be the more foundational kind of concept here. The concept of a moral right depends on or translates into the concept of a moral duty primarily to God. And I think it's the concept of a moral duty that's basic here. I'm I'm obligated by God to treat you with respect because of your inherent value as a creature made in his image. Now, in the sense that talk about rights is really talk about duties, you could say that there are no human rights. At least no human rights that are independent of or separate from this more basic notion of of duties. And it would follow that in the same sense, there really are no animal rights in the moral sense either, of course. But indeed, I think there's a stronger sense in which there are no animal rights. That is, unlike humans... Animals are not moral agents. And that's why I crucially put this thing about I'm right to expect moral agents to treat me in a certain way. As William Lane Craig puts it, animals are not moral agents. When a lion kills a zebra, it kills it, but it doesn't murder it. For lions have no moral obligations to fulfill or moral prohibitions to, to obey or fail to obey. Animals aren't moral agents. It follows that animals can't have moral duties or moral expectations about how they treat each other. Uh, And the animals lack the capacity to have moral expectations or to feel moral outrage at the way in which they're treated, whether by each other or by us. 
can certainly not like the way in which they're treated, of course. But I'm saying they don't have any moral expectations. No sense of moral outrage at the way in which they're treated. So, it seems to me that animals probably don't have any moral rights. But, here's another question. Do animals have any objective worth as a consequence of which humans might be thought to have moral obligations to God to treat those animals with a certain degree of respect? Now here, my answer is absolutely yes. William Lane Craig again. If the lion does no wrong in killing the zebra... Why is a human wrong in killing the zebra? It can't simply be because the zebra would experience pain, say. For the pain is the same in either case, whether I kill it or the lion kills it. If the zebra had some sort of inherent moral right not to be harmed, why would that right evaporate when the perpetrator is a lion rather than a human being. Rather, it seems clear that the basis for the ethical treatment of animals must lodge not in the fuzzy idea of animal rights, but rather in the moral duties of human beings, who are, after all, moral agents. Now, these rights, or these these duties, wouldn't be on a par with one another. I think, just intuitively as well as biblically, that a human is of greater intrinsic value than any animal. If I'm faced with a forced choice of rescuing from the burning building my goddaughter Abigail or this chimpanzee, I am going to save my goddaughter Abigail every time. And I think not only is that a good thing to do, but I think that's what I'm morally obligated to do. So human duties with respect to our treatment of animals can't be on a par, let alone supersede, our duties with respect to one another. But that doesn't mean that we don't have duties that should figure in our thinking here. A few biblical references. Biblically speaking, God, for example, clothed Adam and Eve with garments of skin. Genesis 3, 21. Animals that kill humans should be put down, Genesis 9.5. God commands animal sacrifice, including the eating of lamb, Exodus 12, verse 7. Jesus, on several occasions, ate fish. We're explicitly told, and he probably ate lots of other meat that Jews eat, just not pig. Therefore, the Christian, I would suggest, should not think that it's absolutely morally obligatory for humans to refrain from killing all animals for certain ends, such as clothing or eating. However, they could think it's permissible to refrain from eating or wearing certain animals, for example. Um, You might think there are good moral reasons to think that it's even obligatory to refrain from killing certain animals in certain circumstances, such as if it's on the brink of going extinct. Maybe it's the case with whale hunting. Um, 
i.e. when man-made products are able to replace products obtained from animals, such as certain perfumes and so on, or fur. Um, Bible has a couple of interesting verses about sort of environmental sustainability. Um, here's one from Deuteronomy 22, verse 6. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs... Do not take the mother with the young. Now, of course, that implies that you can take the young or the eggs. But you don't take the mother with the young or the eggs. So you can take and farm and eat, but you've got to do it in a sustainable manner. Or Exodus 23, verse 11. During the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Let it lie fallow. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. So it's more important that the poor get the food, but the wild animals, you've got to let them plunder that fallow land as well. Do the same with your vineyard and with your olive grove. So again, something about sustainability of the environment and a care for even the wild animals in that ecosystem. Certainly, you might think that there are some limits on eating animals that might come in to do with helping other human beings rather than helping the animal, as it were. I think a particular issue to think through here is, is beef. Um, beef production, I'm told by several websites that I looked at, is a serious social justice issue in as much as beef cattle and their grazing land take up nearly a quarter of the land mass of the earth. Sounds very high proportion here, um, but certainly a large proportion to supply beef to the US, Europe, and Japan. Um, says one website. About a third of the world's grain harvest is used to feed cattle instead of food for people. And when you do the sort of calculations on how much poundage of food it is, it takes 16 pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef. Uh, and certainly there seems to be a bit of a rub. If it you're using 16 pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef in a world where millions of people are starving to death. Hmm. But it's not always as straightforward to just doing a few back-of-the-envelope calculations. For example, there was a news report this week from the Daily Mail. Uh, research has shown that giving up meat may not be as green as it seems. The Cranfield University study found that switching from British bread beef, rather than imported with lots of carbon footprint beef, whole issues there, uh, switching from British bread beef and lamb to meat substitutes imported from abroad such as tofu and corn, would increase the amount of land cultivated, raising the risks of forests being destroyed. We know a lot in Brazil, for example, lots of forest, rainforest is cleared to graze cattle. But if you switched from cattle and think, well, I won't eat cattle, I'll have corn, you might actually be doing even more environmental damage. So uh, it's not always straightforward to work out where the balance of all these things is going to be. But certainly, whilst vegetarianism can be bad for the environment, you might think there's good reason to at least eat 
less beef, or sort of at least make sure your beef is more locally sourced rather than imported, uh, and say eat more locally sourced chicken rather than beef, or something like this. But it's about these judgment calls on what is good, not just for the environment and for the way the animals are treated in the industries and so on, but for, for the poor of the world in terms of a social justice issue. See, this has nothing to do with being nice to cows or, or indeed nasty to chickens because you're now eating more of them. And everything to do with social justice. Short of the, the, the ins and outs of killing animals... Uh, certainly you might think humans uh, should treat animals humanely. Interesting use of you know, humanely rather than animally. Kind of, we use it that way around. Um, I think it probably means something like sort of in sympathy with their natures. So, you know, free-range chickens and eggs, probably a good idea from a Christian worldview viewpoint. A few more biblical references before we finish. Exodus 20, verse 10. The seventh day, the Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall do no work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And they put the foreigners below the animals there, but um, yeah, you get the gist. Everybody, including your animals, gets a day off. Proverbs 12.10, I really like this one. A righteous man cares for the needs of his animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. Or Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. It's probably in the shepherd's own self-interest to do that anyway, but it's certainly in the flock's interest. So, let me try and wrap up here. I would say that a non-theistic worldview can't ground a coherent belief in objective moral values. And I haven't had time to go to the ins and outs of that argument this evening. I could refer people listening to the, the podcast, to earlier podcasts on the moral argument in the Reasonable Faith course. Whereas a theistic worldview, including, of course, Christianity, can at least do that. Christianity certainly doesn't seem to me to justify any sort of blanket prohibition on killing or using animals, or at least some animals, for certain uses, at least in some circumstances. But it does seem to ground moral limits upon killing and using animals. And it does so, it imposes those limits, gives us obligations to treat animals in certain uh, degrees of respect and so on, it does so without collapsing the moral distinction between animals and humans in the way that the uh, sort of animal rights argument that we started off with ends up doing. Thank you very much. Well, we should have set up Andrew to sort of do a debate using animals or medical research, but that's probably one of the questions uh, yeah. I've got. <laughs> uh, who, who, who asked the question last time? So it's your turn, is it? Um, okay. Um, <coughs> entirely about animal rights, but it is kind of related. Mm. So you touched on uh, reasons for being vegetarian. And mm. uh, in fact, what I think is 
probably the best reason, I guess, to be vegetarian uh, is for environmental purposes. Arguably, mm. that's the Daily Mail article, although I would still say it probably, on the whole, works out just better. Um, but there's, there's obviously this new research now coming in where scientists are creating, they're growing meat in the mm. laboratory. What is your opinion, what would be the Christian opinion on that yeah. kind of stuff? I mean, what's, what, what are the implications of that? Yeah, I think that's very, that's very interesting. It ties in with the talk we had from Keith um, a couple of weeks ago on GM, genetic modification and GM foods uh, and so on, in, in which um, his approach was generally positive whilst wanting to guard against the misuse of it but didn't want to go to saying, because this kind of technology can be misused, therefore we must put a stop to it and not try and get any benefit out of it. It was kind of like the, the other way around. And that seemed to me to be the right approach. And certainly, if you're able to sort of vat grow your meat, uh, and you can do it, and again, and again questions about the you know, cost, uh, that, I mean, the, this prohibitive cost at the moment. They're, they're trying to make like enough to make a, a burger, aren't they? And it's going to take like thousands of dollars. And $1, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, that it's not the technology is not in a place where it's sort of usable yet. But you can certainly sort of think in a sci-fi sort of scenario if you could, you know, grow your meat in a vat and you just clone it and so on, and it's. It, still healthy and it doesn't have you know all things being equal then it would that would seem a good thing wouldn't it because then you never have to cause any suffering to any animal in order to eat meat again does it then become mm. morally wrong to kill animals for meat if you couldn't get it elsewhere is it now um wrong to be killing animals ah well yeah that's so interesting if if you can of course again all things being equal if you can if it's uh, just as convenient and you're not causing any harm it's like I, I mentioned with, with saying those instances where you know, people used to get perfume from whale hunting and so on but we can now um, artificially synthesise those so why would you do the whale hunting um, not for getting that product because you can get it without doing the hunting it seems to me the same principle would, would apply would it, would it not um, so um, yeah, I think you might very well be right there. I mean, of course, in, in terms of quoting um, biblical endorsements for meat-eating, the thing to say there would be, of course, the Bible is directed towards a culture where they don't have access to genetic modification of, you know, it's saying it's not in a situation where you have that alternative. Um, so you're then thinking through the, the application of a more general principle overriding uh, a particular um, uh, allowance to a particular situation. But, uh, yeah, I think it's certainly one to keep a, an eye on as that possibility develops if it does actually kind of cash out, as it were. Certainly we would want to argue that more humane methods of killing animals uh, have a natural advantage over yes that's right and, and, get, yeah. and getting the meat without killing anything seems to be the, mo the yeah. most humane if there are no sort of unforeseen drawbacks and spin offs and, and so on and you know you end up with some company that's got the monopoly on meat and can, you know, or you know <laughs> there's all sorts of things that could 
any of these technologies, there's all sorts of things going on. People, you know, who owns the trademark on beef burgers now, literally, kind of... The new <laughs> times come into view. Yeah, so, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are things to keep an eye out for, but, yeah. I just didn't want to end up with Monsanto, didn't Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned is that, um, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you were talking mm. about the way that an animal doesn't, the animal only kills, it doesn't murder. Yeah. I think that has to come through some recognition of the fact that when we talk about zebras and lions, we're not talking about, oh, it's, a, it's a scale of things where some species are inherently have more social constructs than others. Mm. Zebras, uh, for example, lions or zebras don't have any. Uh, moral obligations to each other, or actually, that's but in the case of Zebra and Lions, probably you know, entirely true. But mm. in the case of chimpanzees and other ape species, or dolphins, for example, to use you know, a different you know, mm-hmm. branch of, of the tree of life, mm. they definitely, I think, one, one could show uh, scientifically that they feel they show moral um, obligations to each other, they have um, societal constructs that this with analogues in human societal construct. Yes. And certainly I think one can show that um, you know, those kind of species, for example, grieve for their for their relatives more than you, you don't mm. imagine or I don't think about particularly that the zebra grieves for its brothers and sisters, whereas mm. a, a, a chimpanzee does, and I think that's comes through some kind of in, I think that gives mm. us some kind of intuition understanding of what it means to say that certain types of animals have rights and certain Animals have lesser rights, or have yeah. rights that in some way are lesser. Yeah, I, I, I feel what you're saying. I think I, I'd still, I'd still want to translate that into saying we have greater or lesser duties to certain animals over other animals, um, because I, I, I still want to keep the uh, the, the worldview distinction between uh, human person and animal non-person, however high up the the tree of life, as it were. Um, because I, I'm not just talking about morality in terms of reducing it to a social construct. I'm talking about morality in terms of an objectively existing system of, of facts. Um, and I think that, in that sense, humans are moral agents, and even a chimpanzee isn't. Although, given that, the chimpanzee, I would certainly, I think, myself to have more obligations to treat it with a higher degree of respect than a mouse, say. Um, and certainly you can find out, you know, chimpanzees do go to war with other chimpanzees and kill other chimpanzees, but do they murder other chimpanzees when they do that? Um, even if that act of killing causes... Um, Behavior that certainly seems to us to bear the hallmarks of grief in chimpanzees that knew the dead chimpanzee. Um. Well, it's, it's because their, their, their agency is tied only to their tribe or to their, to their group. I mean, the reason we sort of see a disgust as humans in mm. is because, to some sense, our understanding of who is and isn't in our tribe mm. is the entirety of our society, and we, we can care. The fact that we have aid organisations that care for people, like we, we donate lots and lots of money mm. to charity to people that we will never even meet. You know, altruism yeah. is something that our altruism of humans extends far beyond the people yeah. who are ever likely to meet. 
yeah, goes far beyond sort of kin selection altruism. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to sort of break it down too much. I mean, I mm. still, I still agree that you want to keep, at least, you know, about the humans have some sense of self and we have a system of moral rights, not because we just want to break it down into something based on societal constructs that mm, mm. the um, reaching the strength of it might seem demeaning to, to want the idea of morality, mm. but nonetheless, you, you have. To, I think that's why where the understanding comes from. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>